Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Peony on Magazine Street, exceptional women's and children's clothes and gifts. From our socially distanced virtual lunch table in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Aschuti, Tulane University Freeman School of Business professor and director of the Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. For all kinds of businesses, the financial impact of the COVID-19 pandemic has been profound. At the beginning of 2020, you might have had a thriving business. Midway through the year, with everyone confined to their homes and unemployment at historically high levels, you might have been wondering what your future would look like if your business failed. But what if you had a business where failure wasn't an option? where you absolutely had to find some way to stay afloat because your business is a school. That's the position both of my lunch guests today have found themselves in. John Ferboni is founder and CEO of an education institute called Operation Spark. If you haven't heard of Operation Spark and you or someone you know would like a career in writing code for software, you don't need to listen to the rest of the show. All you need to know is this. If you learn coding at Operation Spark, you'll for 100% certainty guaranteed a job that'll pay you a minimum of $65,000 a year. If you're currently in high school, you can take classes at Operation Spark while you're at school and graduate directly into a $65,000 a year job. John, this is an incredible institution that you've built here in New Orleans. Welcome out to lunch. Thanks for having me, uh, Peter. Yeah, thank you. While Operation Spark prepares kids and adults, by the way, for a career in tech, one of New Orleans' most innovative elementary educators takes a dim view of the place of screens in education. The Waldorf School of New Orleans is a member of the largest group of independent schools in the world. There are 1,150 Waldorf schools in 72 countries. As well as seeing screen time as an impediment to child development, Waldorf schools have all kinds of innovative approaches to education, including keeping kids with the same teacher from four to eight years and never, ever assigning a letter grade to educational attainment. Keeping the business side of the New Orleans Waldorf School running is the task of the school's finance and HR director, Michelle Fridman. Michelle, welcome out to lunch. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for having me. John, every program we use on a computer and every one of the millions of phone apps out there in the world all had to be written. And at this point, at least, all of our apps and programs have to be written by human beings. So it's not hard to understand why there's such a demand for people who can write code that make all kinds of things uh, help run our devices, which is why the entry-level income for these positions is so high. Now, that sounds great, especially if you're looking for a job, but what happens after you graduate from Operation Spark and you've got your $65,000 a year entry-level job writing code for a software company? What happens to you for the rest of your life? And are you going to be sitting in front of a computer writing lines of software code for the next 40 years? What does a lifetime career as a coder look like? Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you're no, I mean, it's a team oriented process. So, um, so there's lots of collaboration going on and, um, in, in the, in the process of, um, you know, software sort of reinventing itself all the time. And while a lot of the fundamental concepts and, 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 you know, tools are, um, you know, stay the same, um, platforms, languages, processes, um, frameworks, um, you know, databases, things like that, they, they change all the time, they improve. And so, um, so there's, a, there's this opportunity to constantly learn uh, and learn while you're on the job. Um, and I find that exciting and, um, and uh, kind of inspirational because, you, you know, I think most people, um, once they get past university, they, they, they don't have that opportunity to sort of continue to learn and, and maybe that's changed in other professions as well uh, over time, but it's a constant in, in software engineering. And John, uh, part of your job that I maybe listeners wouldn't be thinking about is uh, you must be out talking to companies, trying to pitch your students and the program, uh, you know, for them to employ your folks. Yeah, I've done everything from clean toilets to, um, um, you know, yes, uh, shake hands and, and kiss babies. But the... the um, most definitely, uh, we we have a good partnership with with many of the companies in the region, and and now you know, we're sort of expanding beyond um, in, beyond um, New Orleans and and uh, into Louisiana in general. I think over sixty companies have hired our grads now, and um, so you know there's a constant conversation going on, and, and including with you know. Not, not just the companies, but uh, workforce development agencies in the state. Now, Michelle, I'm sure millions of parents agree with the Waldorf philosophy that screen time has a negative effect on child development. But these parents are also the victims of reality. And as much as we live in a world today where the screen is part of our daily life, which is what you discovered when schools had to close down over the pandemic and screen time was the only way to continue delivering education? Now, that was an extreme example of what it must be like trying to maintain the purity of the Waldorf experience for kids in the midst of an increasingly tech-driven and results-oriented world. But it does focus the issue. So how does keeping kids insulated from Zoom, TikTok, and Instagram prepare them to be better high school and college students or, or just happier humans? Yeah, so that's really interesting. I mean, obviously, COVID threw us, um, you know, uh, for a loop and it was a big surprise and Waldorf schools all over the country had to make the decision to basically um, put laptops in the classroom which for kindergarten through eighth grade is pretty unheard of in a Waldorf school. Um, obviously these are unheard of times and so we've had to be creative and adapt but Waldorf School of New Orleans fortunately enough we've been open since the middle of August for in-person learning and have Thankfully, had no real closures. We've been extremely lucky. We have a lot of um, stringent health and safety policies in place. Um, if you can think about it, we probably have it: strict mask policies, quarantines, all of that. Um, and I think Waldorf Education has this reputation for maybe being anti-tech or anti-screen, and it's much less about seeing it within those terms and more about seeing how technology can limit the imagination and the creativity um, of a small child. I think one of the classic 
examples that one of our kindergarten teachers gives is if you allow a small child to watch Walt Disney's Cinderella, when you read Cinderella to them, who are they gonna imagine, right? They're gonna imagine Cinderella with the blonde hair and the big blue dress and the little singing mice. But when you tell a child the story of Cinderella without that image in their minds, they're able to create the whole world for themselves. And they're not limited by what things like movies and screens and um, other items that you know we're bombarded with are. I also think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, childhood depression and anxiety are on the rise all over the country. And one of the leading factors that childhood psychologists talk about is the infiltration of social media and how that has such a detrimental effect on children. And so Waldorf education is filling, I think, a need that children as human beings have to connect with human beings on that level that they can't in other ways. Um, that being said, I think we're all really glad that things like Zoom exist for, you know, this interview today and for allowing some of our students to, um, for health reasons or for other reasons, can't attend school on a daily basis. We're really grateful that it exists, but it's all about mindful use of technology. And, and John, on the business side, you came up with this concept. Uh, I mean, there were Nothing like this in other cities around the country? It seems it seems like such a great idea. There wasn't at the time, and, and they, they shot up pretty fast, the boot camp kind of model. Uh, I wasn't aware of a program um, similar to ours when I started. Um, and, and later, we sought partnership with some really great schools that were doing stuff out in California. Um, but no, we, I, you know, I started by... by going into community center here, St. Anna's community center and on uh, Esplanade with Daryl Durham, uh, who was running out over there and just uh, beginning to teach, um, uh, you know, how to build video games for iOS to an Android for, um, for young adults and, and just trying things out and figuring out how I could um, compress uh, the needs of the workforce into a short period of time. I know when you're a pioneer, you have to, you do a lot of stopping and starting and uh, uh, altering what you're doing. One of the things that I didn't know about you guys was that you actually, let's see, I guess the locally, it's kind of like the model for NOCA, where the, these students, uh, juniors and seniors, go to high school, but this is in addition. Yeah, yes, that's right. Yeah, so so uh, we have a couple models. Like our, our high school program, we, we have, um, you know, our intro classes that um, students can elect to take after school or they can take it during the day, depending on schedules. And then our advanced classes for high schoolers, it's like a half day program, similar to NOCA, how, how, you know, at NOCA, you might specialize in music and spend half your day there, uh, you know, uh, practicing music and performing and all of that kind of jazz. <laughs> but, um, it, you know, and then the other half of the day, the, the student would be at their regular school. So, so we have that type of program for our advanced classes and, um, you know, it's an intensive um, immersion into software development. You know. And Michelle, I have a buddy out in San Francisco who's the head of, a, head of school, and he told me something that which I think would sounded shocking, but I guess it isn't. He said those big Silicon Valley executives are fighting to get their own kids into the Waldorf school out there. In other words, these are tech people, <laughs> and they've asked to, uh, 
try to pull back on them for their own kids. Does that surprise you? Probably not. Probably not. No, and I think they probably see firsthand and part of what they're building and creating is addictive technology, right? And, and they, they've seen the worst side of what technology can bring and they don't want that for their own children. Um, I, I think that it is a really interesting thing to think about because they see both sides of the equation. Clearly, Google is trying to get Chromebooks into every school in the country, um, but at the same time, parents don't want to send their children to those kinds of schools. I think Waldorf education is just something really special. Um, it seeks to educate the whole child. You know, I, a lot of the current education movement is more toward, geared towards purely academics, towards being able to assign letter grades, to be able to assign test scores. And Waldorf students learn so much more than that. Um, they learn how to become human beings um, beyond just a test score. And it's not purely just academics. And Michelle, I, yeah, I'm a parent. I know a lot of parents. They get so uptight about the idea if the kid doesn't get in the right kindergarten, then they don't get in the right. How do you break that? I mean, because you're, you're coming at it very differently. For instance, um, your students don't learn to um, uh, to read until a little bit later than others. How, how do you sell that? Um, I think the big thing is that when you wait until a child is ready, then they're hungry for it and it just explodes. Um, and I think if you also think back a couple generations ago and you read those, you know, fun postings on Facebook about kindergarten readiness back in 1937 or <laughs> whenever it was, nothing on there talks about a child's ability to read. And so I think where we've joined this global rat race where it's just about who can get ahead the furthest and the fastest and how do you get there, where Waldorf education was founded right after World War I with a much bigger goal in mind than test scores. And um, it's really about healing through education and again, the whole human being. And, you know, they talk about Waldorf education, sort of the motto is the head, the hand, and the heart. And I think the heart piece is really important, especially right now, since we're, it seems like we're in a, in a tilt um, globally and what it means to be a social activist and to be able to be resilient and to have strong values and, we don't know what the future is going to bring. You know, things are moving and changing so quickly. And Waldorf education and its ability to see a child as a human being and to um, allow children to navigate relationships and to see things through and to be patient allows them to be more flexible. And, you know, we all, everyone at a Waldorf school has this, image that or this goal that we're we're educating children so that they can change the world you're listening to out to lunch i'm peter raschuti i'm talking with michelle fridman finance and hr director at the waldorf school of new orleans and john Ferboni, founder and ceo of operation spark a software and coding school now john we see with uh, Michelle that she's a, a tuition in a private school and you kind of understand the business uh, side of it. 
John, where do you get your funding? I would assume a lot of the uh, students you have couldn't pay tuition. I think you mentioned 85% of them uh, qualify for free free lunch. Where's the money come from? Well, for our high school program, we're uh, we're under the board of education or the board of education from the state. So you know our our courses count as Carnegie credits, as well as industry based credentials for high schoolers. So we have a funding stream through. It's similar to tuition uh, that that high school high schools themselves uh, receive from the state, but it's called course supplemental course choice. And it was developed, it's a, it's a innovative program that allows third-party career and technical ed providers to provide specialized training for high schoolers. Um, it's a very effective program in the state, very innovative. So um, that's, how, that's how we operate in our high school space for the most part. You know, we have funders from time to time that help us scale the program. Um, Youth Force NOLA is one of our, our big partners. Capital One has funded our, our high school program. Google has funded our high school program and so on. Um, but, um, but, you know, we're, we're a legit org in terms of, um, you know, being a, a provider for uh, high school education. John, one thing I didn't uh, get right when I first uh, started getting ready for the show is that you, these students, these high school students aren't coming to you. You're bringing the classes to them. Well, right now we're hundred percent virtual and that was a result of COVID. We'd been running virtual classes across Louisiana to reach rural parts uh, where, you know, I couldn't send a software specialist uh, to live. Um, and so we have sort of extensive teacher training in the summer where we work with uh, high school teachers across the state. And then we partner with them to run classes, uh, you know, in remotely kind of thing from, from we have one of our instructors uh, who's a software engineer will work from our location in new orleans and then the teacher who's trained with us will sort of work as a boots on the ground ta uh in wherever so we had this model together uh the pandemic you know forced us to shift 100 percent virtual um and uh you know we'd prefer to be in person uh, for some aspects of the program it's again very you know a big part of a big part of the uh, program is learning from each other uh, pair, what we call pair programming, which is sessions of coding where you're problem solving in pairs. And so there is a very, you know, social element to it, um, bouncing ideas off each other, dealing with the critique of each other's ideas and these kinds of things, which, which lend to, to great, uh, problem solvers and team, team, uh, players type things. So, um, but right now we're hundred percent virtual. And Michelle, this would be a, a question of I guess the average parent would ask you, you go K through eight. And uh, the next question would be, do these students get into good high schools? And, and I'm saying that only because they don't have grades and the, the traditional metrics aren't there. Yeah, so I, I, that's a very good question. I mean, first off, yes, our, our students graduate from Wilder School of New Orleans and Wilder Schools all over and end up at... Um, Every high school in the city, we have a lot of students who go to Ben Franklin every year. Um, we have students who go to Cabrini and De La Salle and Newman and Lusher and New Harmony and St. Martin's and Ursuline and St. Aug. I mean, and, and they all thrive there. Um, you know, there, there's some behind the scenes work that the teachers in eighth grade do to um, make sure that students are able to provide the levels of records they need for these high schools. But, um, you know, we always hear back that 
schools love Waldorf students because they are creative and well-rounded and confident and are able to relate to people. Um, and I think that if, but I think it's also important to remember that even though these kids are getting into these excellent high schools that we're sort of selling Waldorf education short if that's the only thing we're looking for. And that again goes to this higher mission um, of Waldorf education. And you know, there are tons of kids with great test scores and tons of kids with A plus marks and Waldorf students pop off the page because they are just more than a test score. And John, I uh, I understand why you did it, and your heart's in the right place, and you've you did this for the community. I get all of that, but are you also the the business brain behind it? Yeah, I mean, we've got a really good team. Uh, I think, early, you know, so so over the years, uh, definitely uh, the, the team has contributed immensely. Um, and uh, early on, I had a guy named Max Godan who's from down here. He was a real hustler. Uh, it, it, you know, in the, in the startup sense and, you know, we, we both just worked night and day to, to get it off the ground. And now, you know, we're a larger organization. I have 25, about 25 people on staff, I think. Um, so, you know, different people have different roles and, and we're at a place now where we've been, in, we've been able to bring on to our team, some industry awesome. <laughs> so there's, there's lots of good people doing really great work. You know, I, I, I'll just, if I don't, if, if you don't mind, I, I think Michelle's platform is amazing. And, and I, it, you know, it, it almost doesn't, it seems natural, right? Probably from our generation, Peter, we didn't grow up with smartphones, at least I didn't. And, and computers came around when I was, you know, I don't know, 10 or something like that, where they were in the home. But most of the socializing and education that we had when, when we were young was, songs computers and uh and 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 that interfacing was all human and uh so i i value what uh, michelle and, and waldorf are up to so on the surface it looks like you two guys would hate each other right it looks like a completely <laughs> different uh idea but but that's not true is it i mean you both uh understand what the other one delivers right and again i think purposeful use of technology is one thing i think waldorf education just reminds people that childhood is a very special short period of time and as adults we have a hard time keeping up with the joneses on social media and so to expect a four-year-old or a five-year-old to be able to navigate that is completely unrealistic you know i'm going to ask you this michelle i was at a conference uh the other day and the speaker before me was was uh talking about that if a if a state for instance had any money at all in their budget, the best thing you could do with it was not infrastructure or all the usual things. It was early childhood development. If you wanted to, do you agree with it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so Rudolf Steiner was the founder of Waldorf Schools. Um, and in, he, he was, had this really great knack for understanding childhood development. And the first seven years really set the stage for so much of the rest of people's lives. Um, and Waldorf education really values waiting and patience and taking childhood development into account. And the early childhood program at our school is always really popular, even with folks who aren't what we call lifers who are gonna continue into um, the grades program because 
parents understand how fundamental it is for children to learn, I guess, the soft skills that um, they don't necessarily get everywhere else. And, you know, again, in, in Waldorf schools, they're learning how to be humans and how to interact with each other and also make bread and cut vegetables and grind meat and, <laughs> you know, all of these things that uh, we joke are like the post-apocalypse training school for when the you know the next pandemic comes our kids will be able to farm and sew their own clothes and all of that but um you know it's it's the social skills I think are so important and and those are really learned in those first few years and um the idea of the teachers sticking with the kids that's also in early childhood so our kindergarten program is actually a mixed age kindergarten and the majority of children spend two to three years in kindergarten with the same teacher. And so being able to build those bonds um, with teachers and other students is really important. The New Orleans that kids are growing up in today is not the same New Orleans you grew up in. And that even goes for parents who are in their 20s. Elementary education options now include choices like the Waldorf School, which opened here in the city in 2000, and high school and later options include training for a career in software coding at Operation Spark, which opened in 2014. The more choices people have for living their lives, the more reason they have to stay here in New Orleans. And the more rich and varied the city becomes, the better it is for all of us. So John and Michelle, although I'm not officially authorized to speak on behalf of the people of New Orleans, I don't think anybody would object to me thanking you for everything you've done to make the city a better place to to learn, to live, and to work. I, and thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you for having me. <laughs> My guests on Out to Lunch today have been John Ferboni, he's the founder and CEO of Operation Spark, and Michelle Fridman, finance and HR director at the Waldorf School in New Orleans. We edited the show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about a career in coding and Waldorf education by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. Now you can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at LaFleurphoto.com. Very soon, honest to God, we're going to go back to hosting Out to Lunch around the real-world lunch table. For right now, Commander's Palace is open for lunch Wednesday through Friday and dinner seven nights a week and jazz brunch on the weekends. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Peony on Magazine Street. 
exceptional women's and children's clothes and gifts. And by Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. And by the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. 